Hey folks, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Restoration Project's weekly podcast. The Restoration Project is a cooperative Baptist fellowship church located in Salisbury, Maryland. We are taking a break from our latest sermon series. Enjoy this standalone episode. Thanks for listening. You do also find um, yourselves as you're sitting here in between series at TRP. Last week, as Tessa mentioned, we did finish our series in the book of Galatians. Next week, we are going to be starting something totally different, but that leaves this week as sort of a transitional piece. And I'll be honest with you, I was really wrestling with what it is um, that the Lord was leading me to talk about this evening. And I kind of settled on this, although to be honest, I just feel as though I'm going to be introducing you guys maybe to a topic and hopefully inviting us as a community to respond to some of the things that are going on in this particular passage. This is Psalm chapter 30. This is known as one of the Thanksgiving Psalms. Just for a little bit of background to this, uh, Psalms is a collection of ancient Israelite poetry and praise and prayers, sort of functioned as a prayer book for the ancient community, specifically when they would go to the temple um, in worship. But they also had uh, individual sort of uses as well for someone at home that was praying. But these uh, psalms helped people to learn how to pray and how to praise in a, in a variety of situations in their lives. Traditionally, we could at least have three different genres included in the Thanksgiving Psalms. We have the, the songs of praise or hymns, which are reflections upon how good God is in God's work in creation and God's just overall being and essence. We praise who God is. And for some points in our lives, those Psalms are, are meaningful and they are um, apt for where we are and how we want to celebrate the goodness of God and how God has been active in our lives. There are, is a different genre within the Psalms known as the Lament Psalms. And at times in your life, perhaps when you are in the midst of suffering and sadness and difficulty, you might be able to utilize these prayers, which actually make up a, quite a number within uh, the Psalter itself. These are prayers of petition, prayers where the ancient Israelites are kind of at their, at their wit's end at the complete end of their rope, if you will, and they are crying out to God to, to do something, saying, Lord, if you're actually with us, if these promises that you have made to us mean anything to you at all, show up and do something. A lot of times these Psalms end with a turn uh, to trust or an admission of trust where they say, despite what I'm going through, the difficulties, whether it be the health issues that I have or the enemies that are literally surrounding my house or the, the enemies that are metaphorically surrounding me, regardless of those things, yet I will trust you. There is, however, one Psalm of Lament in Psalm 88 that does not end with a with an admission of trust. Instead, it says, darkness is my closest friend, period. Turn the page. And for some folks in the ancient Jewish community and for some folks in the contemporary Christian community, psalms like that are, are meaningful to us because it gives us language to speak to God when stuff is not necessarily going right. It gives us language of petition where we say, do something, show up, meet me here now. Your word says that you will. I'm waiting. I'm going to trust that you're going to show up, but do it. There's a third genre within the Psalms as well, which are the Psalms of Thanksgiving. 
And if the Psalms of lament or the Psalms of petition kind of leave you at that uh, cliffhanger where you don't know if God is going to meet the needs of the suppliant or the prayer of these Psalms, the Psalms of thanksgiving, they finish the narrative. They look back and they say, I have a story to tell. I was in the pit. I was in Sheol, which we'll talk about later. I was in the midst of the abyss. I was, for all intents and purposes, I was dead. But I cried out to you, and you showed up, and I praise you. And because of this, all of you should praise God too. These Psalms of Thanksgiving, they complete the narrative where lament or petition it leaves off and it says, God actually did something in my life, but it doesn't retell the story under the cloak of darkness. It doesn't retell the story as someone is in their car just riding around. It doesn't retell the story to only their best friend. It retells the story to the community of faith so that the people in the midst of lament can say, I will trust because God is working in the life of this person because their prayer and their testimony is giving evidence that God will show up and that God will answer this prayer and that God will be present even for me. The Psalms of Thanksgiving, there's not a whole lot of them in the Psalter, but they are powerful because they give a testimony. They give a word to the community to say, do not give up, do not walk away, do not Go back on your faith because I've got something to say about it. This is Psalm 30, which is perhaps the most notable example of a Thanksgiving psalm. And see if you can uh, perk your ears up and hear the underlying narrative in this psalm. There's actually two of them. Psalm 30, this is the title, a psalm, a song for the dedication of the temple of David I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, you brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. The word of God for the people of God. There's some scholars that talk about the importance of stories, and I don't really think that we need to belabor this point because just the way that we live, we understand that stories are a shaping mechanism uh, in our lives. They reach us where we are, and we can understand, and we can even enter into those narratives and and be moved emotionally. We can be moved spiritually. We can be moved in so many ways in response to stories. Bruce Birch and Larry Rasmussen say, stories mold people's identities and their sense of the world and reality. 
Our dear friend, the good bishop N.T. Wright says, stories change how people think, how they feel and how they behave, and hence they change the way the world actually is. I've used this slide a few times now, but this is why people are so compelled by this ridiculous show, This Is Us, because the narratives draw us in. Perhaps for some of us, we see the parenting that takes place on This Is Us, and we say, I really would like to be that sort of a parent. Every time I see an episode with Randall in it, I'm just compelled by who he is as a dad. Even this last week, I won't give anything away, but this last week, when he has that interchange with his oldest daughter, it's like, that's the kind of dad I want to be. And I start imagining myself with my boys, with Abe and Jude, in the midst of the different circumstances they go through. We have these kind of uh, Bob Saget in full, house moments where the music's queued up and I just kind of hop down on the bed and say, oh son, I know it's not going your way, but there'll be a bright sunshine tomorrow. Something like that, where it's like really poignant and nice and, and they'll think that I'm the greatest and I will feel the greatest. I'm sucked into the narrative of this is us because there's something about it that translates to the human situation, even though there are not that many families that go through the amount of tragedy and emotional turmoil that these people do. And if this isn't your jam, so to speak, perhaps you know about Grey's Anatomy. We're on season 14, and I'm still roped in, although on most opportunities, I'm sitting on the couch and saying, Kate, if they kill off this character, we can never watch this show Again, I don't know where you are in your viewing, but the statute of limitations would say this is not a spoiler. But if you haven't gone there and you want to just put your head down to the ground, I'm getting ready to put a graphic up to show you all the people on this side, at least, that, ha that are dead now. So you can, I mean, it's just a ridiculous show that, that, that points you in a direction where some of the major characters are axed off and you just know that something is going to happen. Like last week when Meredith died. No, I'm just kidding. She didn't. Now, some of the parents in the room were talking about stories in TV, and, and I don't know, like Abe has fallen in love with PJ Masks. I also have, side note, I got really carried away with this introduction uh, this afternoon, so there's a lot of this kind of stuff, so just buckle in for the next five to seven minutes as we talk about the importance of stories. But Abe loves PJ Masks. Into the night, we save the day. And there's some shows that Abe watches that I just can't handle. This is one of them. But for parents, sometimes this is maybe the only TV you watch is the TV that your kids enjoy, whether it's Sesame Street or PJ Masks or what have you. I, I don't even know. But there's, there's stories that communicate things, if not to us, to our children. Stories, they move and they shape us, which is why on Facebook just this morning, I can see an interchange about who the best TV mom is and people are engaging and they're, they're going back and forth and trying to answer these questions. To me, it's a no-brainer whatsoever. Tammy Taylor is by far the best TV mom that ever has been and ever will be from Friday Night Lights. You can quote me on that. This is also the reason why we engage in good books and we see people saying, I'm just longing for a day when it's not raining and it's not gross so I can go outside, sit on a blanket and read a good Books, stories, they captivate us. They bring us into the narrative. They, they require something of us. They teach us something about ourselves. And we can see ourselves in these stories. Last example, I believe. This is also why we have great singer-songwriters that tell stories. And yes, I put Macklemore up there. 
and I don't know if this is a commentary on my love or lack thereof of, of hip hop, but I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I think sometimes he tells, he tells a good story. Thank you, Tim. Me and Tim will appreciate that. But whether it's the Avet brothers or Bob Dylan or what have you, there's people that can tell a story through song that bring you in and not only help you to forget about where you are for a moment. It goes beyond that and it teaches you something about the world. It teaches you something about yourself as an inhabitant of the world. And for Christians, it teaches us something perhaps about who God is and what God demands of us in the midst of this. Now, when I was growing up, I went to a, a pretty traditional conservative church. I would even say it's a rural church. It's kind of like one of those stereotypical um, white church buildings out in the middle of a field somewhere, even though it's not really in the middle of a field. It was two miles away from the pig farm I grew up on. But one of the things that they did in their rhythms of liturgy, I guess you could say, is at certain times they would have an open mic testimony time where people would come up and they wouldn't rehearse the stories that were seen on TV or in literature or through song. They would tell the story of the thing that has happened to them. And now as a 36-year-old adult, I don't look back and remember the contents of those stories, but I remember that time. I now know, like as a pastor, the open mic time is terrifying because you relinquish control and you allow people to come up and say whatever it is that they want to say. And perhaps we've been in testimony times where you're sitting in the seats thinking like, well, I guess here we are. I hope the next one will be up shortly. But there's these moments when we need to hear from the community. Right now, even as we look here, there is a huge divide. College, mostly not college. Do you know the names of the people over here and vice versa? Do you know my name? Do we know each other in any tangible way where we could benefit from an open mic testimony service where someone comes up and says, let me tell you about what God is doing in my life or about what God has done in my life. I'm not a fool and I've seen some things on Instagram over the last few days and it seems as though there's been some really cool things happening within the Salisbury community. And my hope and my prayer is not that we leave it within your SU place of residence. Our hope is that you bring it here to us and to beyond where it's not just about college students receiving something, but it's about the community at large receiving something. But in the same way, most of you have no idea what's going on over here because we don't have good outlets in which to share with one another. And I'm not convinced that an open mic testimony is necessarily the best way of going about that. Perhaps going to a small group or going to a dinner or going to a brunch or going to a progressive dinner. And there's a lot of food going on here. And I know that people like to eat, which is, which is what we're trying to do, but to bring people in, into contact with one another. So it's not just here over an hour and 10 minutes on a Sunday, where as soon as we say amen and give the sending, half of you are bolted and the other half of you aren't, but where we can actually have these moments and we can say to one another, what's God doing in your life? I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, but since we're right here, for some of you, that's the most terrifying thing that could be asked because you feel as though God is not doing anything in your life at this particular moment. You feel absent, you feel uh, 
you feel on the outskirts with, with regard to God and your relationship. You don't feel as though things are going well. You don't really have stories of victory. You don't have stories of healing. You don't have stories in your life where, where things have, have worked out, where you were praying big prayers and God showed up in the midst of your pit and then he has brought you out of it. You don't have those moments. For maybe some of the parents, you might have, to have every day is exactly the same because when you wake up, there's kids screaming in your faces. Uh, not that I know anything about that. But you have moments perhaps where you feel as though you need the testimony of someone else that has felt and experienced victory. But I don't want to minimize the journey that the rest of you are on because there will be moments when there is not the experience of victory. There are moments when you are walking in faith with Jesus right beside you but it might feel to you as though it is difficult and it might feel to you as though you are in the midst of maybe not a literal pit, but you might feel as though God is absent or God is removed or God is not present with you. That's a story that also deserves to be heard. The story of the faithful servant in the midst of the journey where not every day is on top of the mountain, but the day that you happen to be on is in the valley. But your faithfulness through that valley is demonstrating something that is beautiful and poignant to the rest of the community. Our stories are so different and they beg to be heard. With regard to the Psalms, John Golden Gay says, we listen to people's testimonies because of the way they may reflect or may help us reflect on our own lives. And the Psalms spell out ways they do that. What Yahweh has done for the worshiper is assumed not to be significant only for that person. It illustrates something that can be true for others as well. My plan tonight, because I'm a huge nerd and I like the Psalms, is really just to march us through the teaching in Psalm 30 and point out some stuff. And it's actually going to get a bit nerdy before we get into things of application. Are you cool with that? You kind of know what you're getting when you show up, I think. Uh, but this is, this is Psalm 30. And I just have a, a little side note about the Psalm titles because I found this to be super interesting, although I hope it doesn't destroy anyone's faith uh, or uh, view of the Bible. So let's just, with that beautiful introduction. Let's just go for it, okay? This is Psalm 30. It says, a psalm in Hebrew that is pronounced mizmor. Say mizmor. It says a psalm or a song specifically for the dedication of the temple. And at the very end, it says of David. Say le David. So a lot of psalm titles, they are called a psalm of David. Mizmor le David. That is music to my ears, Hebrew students. That is beautiful. So the things that I've outlined for you, you know this, but just for review, Hebrew is read from right to left. So this is Mizmor, which is translated a psalm. And this is Le David, which is translated of David. Le David is a prepositional phrase. Check this. This is really cool because Hebrew, it doesn't space out its words. It actually attaches them together. So this letter right here is a Lamed. It means to or for or about, and it's attached to David, which means what? Nice. Yes. Good interpretation. That's nice. So it means uh, Le David is its own prepositional phrase, which could be read in a number of different ways. So when we say something is a Psalm of David, deep breath, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a Psalm that was written by David. 
It could be any number of things, a psalm to David or for David or about David or a psalm concerning David or a psalm that's belonging to David or a psalm that's on behalf of David. This is the beautiful ambiguity of the Hebrew language. And all God's people said, and you said, I'm confused. (laughs) Don't be though, okay? Because bigger battles are, are to be fought with regard to the Bible. But in this particular Psalm, it says a Psalm or a song for the dedication of the temple. Most scholars would say that these Psalm titles are added much later to the composition of the Psalm itself to guide the reading of the Psalm. So here, most scholars, again, would say this is probably something that was added much later, not by David or not by the author, to guide the reading of what's about to take place. Specifically, this is a psalm that was to be used in the dedication of the temple, which happened a few times in Jewish history. So people would look back to this psalm to help them understand what to sing or what to pray when the temple was being dedicated or re dedicated. Make sense? Kind of, maybe. This is weird because this psalm, when you read it, it doesn't seem to have a lot to do with the temple itself, but this is how the ancient reading community wanted people to, uh, to think about this psalm. Now, sorry if I blew up your world there. We can sit down and have coffee. I would love to talk to you about Hebrew. Any day where we can incorporate some Hebrew learning is a good day for me. And if you get Rise Up Coffee out of the deal, that's a win-win, right? So this is the psalm itself. Whether or not David is the one penning this psalm, this is the psalm. It says, I will exalt you, Lord. Literally, it says, Lord, I will make you high, for you lifted me out of the depths, and you did not let my enemies gloat or rejoice over me. Throughout the psalms, we have language of one's enemies. It doesn't necessarily mean that those are people with swords and chariots, but it could be, um, it could be that. It's often ambiguous, and the reason is so that people like us can go and read these psalms and become the I of the psalm. When it says, I will exalt you, Lord, we don't have an image of David in a specific situation. We have an image that could be applied to us. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths. Well, what depths? What depths are you going through? What depths did the Lord lift you out of? What enemies? Who are the people surrounding you? Are they literal people? Are they Christians trying to like badmouth you? Are they your coworkers that are trying to hurt you or get you fired? Are they people in your dorm floor that don't like you? Are they literal enemies or are they metaphorical enemies? These are the questions that the psalm is asking us to think through. But here, the praise is, I will exalt you because you lifted me out of the depths so you did not let my enemies gloat over me. Here's the story. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. Again, we're not told what's up with with the, the suppliant here. We're not told what ailment they have. We're not told what they're healed from. We're not told if it's a physical ailment. We're not told if it's a, a mental uh, issue or a spiritual ailment. We're not told any of these things. The words, uh, you healed me, it's, it's, it's open to any sort of interpretation. It's not just a physical healing of sickness or potential death, but it's, it could also be a spiritual healing or an emotional healing. 
The psalm is, is notably open to those inter interpretations. Lord my God, I called to you for help in the midst of my issues, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my suffering. I called out to you and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from the realm of the dead. Literally, that is from the realm of Sheol. This is an ancient concept of what happens to you after you die. And understand that throughout the Bible, we have different images of what happens to people after they die because folks are, are learning new things and processing things in different ways at different points in history. But here it says that you have brought me up from the realm of the dead. One scholar says that Sheol is the place where dead people are. It's a non-physical equivalent to the grave or the tomb. It's not a place of punishment, but just a place where people exist rather rather than really live as bodies do in the grave. This is not equivalent to your conception of hell. This is the place where the dead people are. The place where people who don't live are. And for some ancient Israelite thinkers, they would say God cannot even go there and God cannot um, rescue people from this place because God is so alive and distinct from the realm of the dead. But the psalmist says, this is the place that you delivered me from. You delivered me from going down to the place where the dead people are. Now, obviously, this person is not dead as they're writing this psalm, but their situation and their circumstance is so extravagantly terrible that the only sort of language that they can use to communicate that is, I am like a dead person in the existence of other dead people, none of which are living, and God might not even show up there, that's what it's like for me to have these enemies surrounding me. But this is also what God delivered me from. As a result, the psalmist says, sing the praises of the Lord. Now, imagine the scene for a second. Somebody comes in, and we've got the open mic, and they come up and say, listen, um, I was dead. I was existing in the realm of death. But God reached down and brought me up and restored me to life. And then that person just goes to sit down, and we just sit there like a bunch of blobs that didn't really hear what was, what was happening but this person, like their testimony is so extravagant. The call that they say is, as a result, sing praise to God. Sing out to Yahweh for the things that he has done. It's demanding a response from the people. In light of this story, you must now sing the praises of the Lord. You, his faithful people, praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment. His favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning, and here we have this poetic play on length of times and uh, the experiences of God's people. His anger lasts a moment, but we experience his favor for a lifetime. We might weep for a night based on our situations and our circumstance, but joy, it comes in the morning and it stays with us. This is what the psalmist is asking his people to understand and to hear perhaps for the first time. And then because that story's not good enough, they continue on and they retell the story again. When I felt secure, the psalmist says, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you had established strength for my mountain. Everything's going good. And this isn't a condemnation on the psalmist, but this is just a statement of fact. Life was fine. 
The crops were coming in. There was food on the table. The animals were okay. Everything was going good. And in that moment, I said, I cannot be shaken. God is with me and things are going good. And this is life. And I am appreciative and thankful. But then something changes. And this is something that should, for the thinking and thoughtful Christian, make you pause. Understand the situation. Everything is going good. But then it says, but when you hid your face from me, I was dismayed. There's no accusation of guilt. There is no um, talk of sin. There is, there is no reason for this given in the psalm. It just says there was a moment when things were good and I, I, I was unshakable. But then God hid his face from me and I became dismayed. To you, Lord, in this time I called. To the Lord I cried for mercy. Uh, literally, you could say I was pleading for grace. And then this is what the, the psalmist is praying. What is gained if I am silenced? If I go down to the abyss, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? I will. I'm here right now and I will do this, but you've got to help me. Lord, in the midst of this situation, in the midst of this tragedy, I'm calling out to you. I'm calling out to the Lord for mercy and for grace. Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. And then God responds, and this is the account of the psalmist. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth. You clothed me with joy. The sackcloth, the, the ceremonial garb of death and decay you wear towards a funeral that has been removed from this person and now they are clothed with joy so that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. This is the story that the psalmist is retelling in the midst of the community. I was dead and the Lord restored me. I was completely gone, but God reached down and brought me back. He hid his face from me. I don't know why, but this is the moment when God turned my mourning into dancing. When God took the clothes of, of, of death and clothed me in joy. These are the stories that we see throughout the Thanksgiving Psalms. And the, the example that we find within the Psalter is having a community tell their stories. My hope from this is just to give you a moment's reflection on the depth of the Psalms and the use that we can have where we enter in and we pray these Psalms with people in the midst of their difficulties and sufferings. And if that's not our moment, then we can empathize and enter into the suffering of other people, perhaps as we uh, reflect on what's going on in other parts of the world where people are, are suffering under real oppression and real hurt and real pain. And those words become something where we intercede on other people's behalf. But for us, it's also a moment where we can stop and we can reflect and we can tell our stories together, not just to get to know one another, but to testify to the goodness of God. I don't know if you've caught this, but as you enter into this space on most weeks, you'll see a print it says the people of TRP, whatever your story, there's room for you here. And I would like to open that up a bit farther and not just to make you feel comfortable in the seats, but I would also like to afford you the opportunity. And hopefully over the next few weeks, we'll begin to roll out testimonies of people that say what God has been doing in their lives. 
And my hope, and this might be a weird hope, my hope is that these psalm, or that these testimonies, excuse me, that they reflect the different positions that we see throughout the Psalms. We might have a testimony where God is, is the gracious and all benevolent creator of everything. And we experience that and we feel that and we just want to praise God for who God is. And there might be moments where we're in the midst of our thanksgiving, where we were praying big prayers for God and God showed up in the midst of our difficulty. And we have seen how God can answer those prayers, whether it be a healing or whether it be a spiritual deliverance or whether it be forgiveness. Maybe it's your testimony where you have come to know Jesus for the very first time. But my hope is that also we will include some of these stories of lament where it might not be your moment and your place in the journey might be you're walking with God faithfully, but you're waiting for something to happen. You're waiting for that moment of thanksgiving. You're waiting for that clarity. You're waiting for that understanding. You're waiting for the spirit to lead you and guide you into your next moment of victory. My hope is that this community will be bold enough to hear all sides of the story of what it means to follow Jesus in the midst of the very highest of highs and in the midst of the very lowest of lows, because that is where God meets us every time in the midst of death and destruction and confusion and doubt, God will meet us. And in the midst of blessing and joy, God will meet us. In the midst of the monotony and the routine of waking up every day to the same things happening, God will be faithful to meet us there. And I think it's time that we flip the mic on and we leave it here and we begin to hear some stories from our community of the things that God is doing in our midst so that we can celebrate, so that we can be encouraged, so that we can know that we are not alone, so that we can understand that God has led people from one place to another place, and those stories become our stories, and we can understand and hope that God will meet us in the same way, and we can begin to pray that God will lead us in that way. I know what I'm asking which is for you guys to be vulnerable and to share your story and maybe even to share it with a camera in your face. I know that that it might be a difficult thing, but I'm hopeful that if we can answer the call with boldness, that this will not just be an interesting thing that gets us some likes and shares on Facebook. This can actually be a tool that is used to energize this community, to allow people to see Jesus at work in this community. So my hope is that as we begin to process this, we will begin to allow the spirit to lead and guide as we share these stories together. You good? All right, let's pray. God, we're thankful for your word. We are thankful for the opportunities that it gives us to think about uh, really deep things, really nerdy things, to wonder about who's writing the Psalms. Uh, God, may that stuff not be things that distract us from your goodness and from the plan that you have for the world the plan that you have, that people would meet Jesus, that the world would um, experience restoration through him, understanding that it's through his death and his, his glorious resurrection that things are being made right. May that be the thing that we concentrate on. God, in the midst of the minutia of the Bible, may we understand that you are at work in a huge way. 
Help us to be um, intellectually engaged, but also help us to be engaged with the move of your spirit. Help us to be bold as we share our stories. Perhaps some of the stories that might be the most powerful are the ones that seem as though there's nothing in them to offer. Perhaps we're sitting here thinking where I am in my life, it's not a huge story of victory or it doesn't have any great turns, um, but perhaps that would be the one that we need to hear because it resonates with, with where we are. God, I ask that you would give us boldness and clarity of thought and purpose and vision as we begin to share these stories. May they be things that reach folks on the outside that allow people to know that they are not alone in the midst of their own difficulty, in the midst of their own suffering. But God, let us also hear those stories of victory that might be a few steps away where we can walk from where we are into that moment, where we can walk where we are into that experience, where we can claim and, and know that you will bring us into a place of healing, a place of deliverance and a place of forgiveness. God, for those of us that have become jaded, for those of us that have become uh, just weighed down with the concerns of this world, whether they be financial or whether they be the things that we go home to, may we begin to move beyond those chains to feel and experience the freedom that only comes through our understanding of the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. God, we ask that you would move not just on the campus of SU, but we ask that you continue to do that. But move here, move in this town, move in this community so that people will come to know you, so that people will experience restoration and redemption and reconciliation. And God, help us to understand that in the crazy way that you have decided to work, you use our stories to get people there. God, we are thankful for the lives that we have and we are thankful for the ways that we have seen you working. Give us eyes to continue to see where you're taking us, where you're leading us, where you have already um, allowed us to come through. God, we ask that you would continue the work and through your spirit, may we never tire in sowing seeds for the spirit. We pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We invite you to join us in Salisbury for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. Again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at restoresby.org. See you next week.